0: Welcome to episode 49 of the Sports on Point podcast.
1: 49!
0: I am your host, Matthew Smith. That voice you heard was just some annoying guy in the background.
1: 49!
0: I got Mr. Bob Williams joining me on the line as always. What do you say, Bob?
1: All for one and one for all. Wait, Cleveland just got the first and the fourth pick? I like it. The one and the four.
0: All for one and one for four. And, of course, the guy pressing the buttons to my left, Mr. Pod Severns. Welcome. Like you can tell, he's to my left. I am to his
2: left. I guarantee this.
0: Let's just start it off.
2: The Sports on Point Weekly Rewind, a week in review with Matt Smith and Bob Williams. Let's back it up. Starting off with Thursday, once sure Brett Favre's done, the Green Bay Packers will retire number four. What say we, Matt.
0: Well, I think uh, I think it's a good move to come out and make that publicly known. I know that there was a lot of bad blood flowing between the two after the uh, departure by Mr. Favre, but uh, I, I also really can't blame the Green Bay Packers for waiting and holding out just because you know they had already planned on retiring his jersey once and. Uh, that didn't end up working out too good because he came back to play before the uh, event ever came around. So, uh, good good to see that at least the Packers are attempting to reach out. And I know after a certain amount of time, the all the all the cooler heads will prevail, and uh, we'll see it get done.
1: I thought all this Brett Favre nonsense was, was done since he officially retired again. Uh, <laughs> I guess it just goes without saying that it is Brett Favre. No matter what he does, he will make some sort of news. It's a no-brainer that he will eventually get retired. It's just a matter of time. No matter what the issues they had or, or currently have there between Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers. He will soon be retired.
2: On Friday, Venus Williams withdraws from the French Open. Bob? Uh,
1: you start to see this more and more with the, the Williams sisters in general uh, as they're getting up in age. Uh, whether it be, you know, the French Open or Wimbledon or the U.S. Open, they, they seem to go back and forth. As long as one of them is in the, the tournament, they're, they're still a, a good attention draw for viewers. Ah, but that's the
0: problem. Neither one of them are in the tournament now. Uh, the the other Williams sister,
1: what her name? Serena. Serena Touche.
0: Yes. Serena and Venus are actually both out of this tournament, so uh, it's kind of a no-go. I, I, I'm starting to think uh, it, it might be time for the world of tennis to move on from the Williams sisters. It seems that uh, they're, they're making a lot more headlines off of the court or, or off of the tennis court than they are on it. And um, you know it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of moving away from the Williams at you know their ripe old age of 29, which is you know all that not all that old, but in the world of tennis that's just how it goes. And I think uh, the men the world of men's tennis same thing. It really seems like uh, Roger Federal Federer, Federer and Rafael Nadal are kind of. <laughs> kind of over the the super hype that they had a couple years back so uh, it's about time the world of tennis sees some new superstars rise up
2: on saturday chad 85 and i refuse to speak spanish because we're american damn it chad 85 of cincinnati Bengals rides a bull for 1.5 seconds and earns ten thousand dollars
0: I'd have to say that this headline in and of itself is probably the single most convincing endorsement I have ever seen for the NFL and the Players Union to end the lockout. Because if 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 Chad Ochocinco has to ride a bull to get money, then obviously something's not right. Although I can't say that I would turn down an offer to work for one and a half seconds and get $10,000. I don't know. Seems like a good deal to me, but... Still, if I'm the uh, general manager of the Cincinnati Bengals or whatever prospective team might be looking to get him in the offseason or during the locked out season or whenever a deal might go down, uh, I'm not sure I'm too happy to see it.
1: Eh, He survived. I I saw the entire thing while it was happening live. It was quite hilarious. Uh, The 1.5 seconds seemed a lot shorter than 1.5 seconds, if that can happen. Uh, And and why not? You know, Oshim Sinko's already went out there, tried soccer. Now he's doing bull riding. Next time, you'll probably see him out running a marathon. Uh, What other obscure sports we can do? Playing cricket. Extreme ironing. There you go. We'll just make up sports for him to do. Oh, that's a real sport. That's ridiculous. Lawn mower riding.
2: <laughs> yeah. Maybe he should change his name to Chad 1.5. Chad Uno Puente Cinco. cinco. <laughs> planking.
0: That's what he can do. Planking. Spelunking.
2: On Sunday, Evan Longoria saves reporter with bare hand catch.
1: Bob uh i i hadn't heard about this uh i just catch the video that's ridiculous it's not even eye hand coordination it's listening and being aware of your surroundings if you take a peek at this the the video that we have not even paying attention here's the the crack of a bat and you know less than probably three seconds puts his hands up and there's there's the ball if this wasn't up on online. It, it would look like it was uh, photoshopped almost. And by the way, Bob, you said Longoria. Longoria is a Spanish name. So you failed really quickly.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Evan Longoria, man.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: it's a cool video and everything. But I am about 98% sure that this is a viral advertisement. I, there's there's a nice big Gillette ad along the back wall when this batting practice is going on. It just all seems a little too conveniently handled. I don't know. I I I think this is one of those uh, one of those viral videos. I think uh, I think there's no authenticity authenticity to this at all. It could be, Matt. definitely. On Monday, Troy Polamalu graduates from USC. Okay, so if Chad Ochocinco riding a bull for 1.5 seconds is a good argument to end the lockout, Troy Polamalu graduating from USC is, I guess, a good argument for the lockout to continue. Because uh, I, I think that we might see a lot more stories like this coming up over the course of this next football season if we are not, in fact, watching NFL football. Because there's a lot of uh, a lot of players in the NFL who could really stand to go back and and solidify their post football careers with a degree and, and uh, as much as I hate to say it kudos for Troy Palamalu for getting it done Oh yeah
1: you, you, it's always a good story when you hear an NFL player who goes back and, and gets his degree you usually don't hear about it that much it's a little blurb in, in some sort of line but because there's not too much going on in the NFL it becomes a little bit bigger bigger of a deal but, but good job for him and, and hopefully like you said we see more people going back and doing that after the fact
0: yeah, it, a little side note about uh, Steelers in the news. Uh, I'd have to say that the Troy gradu- Palamalu graduating story is a lot better than the Rashard Mendenhall's talking about Bin Laden on Twitter and Heinz Ward trying to kill his dance partner. Um, I don't know if you've seen that little suplex video, but it's it's pretty devastating.
2: On Tuesday, Roger Goodell says NFL to pitch in for Minnesota Vikings new stadium. Bob.
1: So maybe this is the reason why they're complaining about not having enough money. Let's build another $1.1 billion stadium in Minnesota? Okay, I can understand Jerry Jones, Dallas, major metropolitan area. When I think of New York, L.A., Chicago, yeah, those seem fine, but Minnesota? This is what they want this money for I, I I know that's not why they want the money, but it it just seems like the owners are going out there just almost wasting money. Do you need a one point one billion stadium in minnesota
0: well I, I I think you got a good point, but on the flip side of it, I think that uh, I think that what the greater issue here is is the fact that the n f l is having to pitch in at all because in this particular time in this particular economy. Nobody is willing to pay for stadiums to be built, and a lot of that money liability falls on owners and falls on the NFL. And that's exactly why they're asking for more money in these types of these types of uh, bargaining agreements that we're talking about. Right or wrong, I, I, I think that uh, I think that you nailed it. I think that this is a big part of the reason they're asking for more money. But a
1: 1.1 billion dollar stadium—that's when you're starting to get ridiculous.
0: On Wednesday,
2: Kareem Abdul Jabbar feels slighted by Los Angeles Lakers' no statue at Staples Center.
0: Well, I don't know. This this seems a little bit goofy. Kareem Abdul Jabbar, sure, he's had a he had an amazing career in Los Angeles. He was he was quite the Laker. Blah blah blah, I understand that. But Jerry West just got his stadium, just got his statue, and how long has he been retired in comparison? I mean, just to just to assume that because Jerry West got his statue and he's been retired for 20 years, that uh, that uh, they're going to put one up for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at the same time. West won more championships. I got no problem with this.
2: Andy has an American name, not a terrorist name.
0: That's right. I that Lou Cinder was all that American
1: before he changed it. Yeah, no, it, it's much to do about nothing. Uh, really, if he if he wanted a statue, he maybe should have stayed in Milwaukee. He would have, he would have probably had it the day he retired. But you go to an organization like the Lakers or Boston in in, in basketball, and and it's going to take some time. They don't have all all the room in the world to you know build stadiums crazily because they've had you know every decade they've had good players year in and year out. So it it's tough to. For him to get mad over nothing right now. If they build a, if they build a
0: statue for every Liker who deserved one, they'd have a hard time fitting all the people in. I know.
1: Maybe that's what they should do. Maybe. Hey, I got to sit next to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's bronze statue.
2: And that's been this week in sports. And that's a perfect segue to go into our main topics section, where we're gonna. Speak to the point. We're actually going to have our anniversary year in review. It was actually actually uh, one year ago. Was it
0: today, Matt? Was a year ago yesterday a that year? we that we recorded the first ever Sports on Point podcast?
2: Wow, we've been going for an entire year. That's crazy.
0: Yep, hard to believe. Well, we so that it, one little hiccup. Oh, hiccup schmickup. I don't know what you're talking about. But uh, yeah, in honor in honor of the year anniversary, we uh, we brought in our. Agitator of a co-host from the first several months of the show, Mr. John Zavarelli.
3: Hello everyone, that's me. What's up,
1: J-Zav?
3: Glad to be here.
0: Happy birthday. Happy birthday, John. Thank you. <laughs> Guys, so I thought this I thought this year, uh, you know, coming to a close, at least the sports on point year. We have a different year than everybody else, but uh we're we're drawn to a close and, and I wanted to take a time, I thought it'd be good to, to take a look back at the last twelve months take a look at some of the stories that have kind of dominated the storylines on this podcast and the world of sports in general and uh... you know just just kind of let's talk about some things that are kind of still ongoing and still relevant that that have been going on maybe since the beginning of our show and maybe uh... maybe shortly after but they're, they're going on and they're still they're still hot topics of debate and with the nba Eastern Conference Finals going on right now. I think that Northeastern Ohio fans of basketball would have a hard time uh, forgetting of course the decision back on July 8th of 2010. John, you you brought this up. You wanted to you wanted to spend a little time talking about the LeBron to South Beach move. Uh pour a little salt in the wound.
3: All right, I can do that. Well, to be honest with you, I think it's the whole decision was the greatest thing to happen to basketball in the last 10 to 15 years and the reason why is because basically LeBron became a legit villain. Uh, made basketball more exciting. You haven't had this much ex- at least I haven't had this much excitement leading up into a season and during a regular season as this year. I love the, all the parody videos that they came out with after the whole decision with the South Beach NWO and comparing it to wrestling and the heel turn and I mean the the debate just goes on and on. With did he did you do the right thing? Was it handled well? And to be honest, no, he didn't handle it well. It was it was a douchebag move of him to to just pretty much turn his back on a city on national television. But but I think it it gave the NBA another villain team, and I think that's what the NBA needed a team that not just one city. I mean, the hatred in Northeast Ohio was big. That that obviously hate LeBron James, but and all the teams that were in the running also hate him. Everywhere they go, they get booed now. And I, I just think it—it's good for. It's like the Yankees of baseball. Everyone hates the Yankees, and it—it's fun to root for the team that you hate against.
2: John Pod here. I—I don't know if—I don't know if villain is necessarily. I think I agree with you that the NBA needs a villain. But I think what ended up happening out of all this is, you know, a villain would be great if. The Cavaliers, for example, still had a good team that would be able to compete with the Miami Heat and we could you know, the atmosphere that was at you know, the queue when LeBron came back the first time was incredible. And if we had a team that could actually play against the Miami Heat and we could have kept some sort of rivalry going and we could have maybe even established a new rivalry, then I see the idea of a villain. Ultimately, what it looked like to me was that you just saw NBA players for what they are, which for the most part is narcissistic, <clears throat> immature douchebags, <laughs> to use your term. So, I mean, although although I agree with you that it would be great to have a nice villain and great rivalries and good storylines, ultimately it kind of just turned into blah. I mean, how many people are, if, if you're, In Miami, outside of Miami, how many people are really, really
0: excited about, you know, I don't know. I would tend to agree with you from a Cleveland perspective that, you know, from from a Cavs standpoint, it's not a rivalry. It's not a great villain story. But across the league, I think it's a little bit different because when you talk about fans from Los Angeles, you talk about fans from Boston, you talk even to fans, you know, from New York, They've spawned rivalries with these teams that they can compete with. And from a league standpoint, as much as I hate to admit it, there's been a lot more buzz around the NBA this season than there has been in a long time.
1: Yeah, and it might not be for the best reasons or or, or the best, uh, I don't know, the the, the nicest. Like John said, there's this villain idea. And I'm going to actually push this a little bit. Further and, uh-huh. and it's almost that the inmates are running the asylum. That's why we're possibly talking about a NBA lockout or a restructuring of the the, the collective bargaining agreement, because the owners in these smaller-to-mid markets like the Cleveland, Toronto, who lost superstars, Denver, who had to trade away Carmelo, Duran, uh, you know, Utah, who had to trade away Duran. Uh, you know, how, how do we keep this... NBA, this this sports organization, with as much parity as possible. So I, I I think as good as this is, yeah, you're having the super teams. You're seeing a lot of movement. You're seeing players going to bigger markets. Okay, that's fine, but you don't want to get too far into the MLB mentality where you have just these few teams like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the 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 Dodgers that seem to go in year in and year out. Who can almost buy players? And it's not going to get that way where they're going to buy players. But you're going to see these this this collusion before the season, where teams who in the right mind trades away a, a former second round pick in Beasley for absolutely nothing, pennies on the dollar. Second pick, without, second overall with, pick. Second right. overall pick, without not knowing that there was a bigger picture that it was going to happen so i i don't know if this is best for for the nba owners and you're going to see that kind of how the the collective bargaining shakes out because of this past summer and this past year with all the major stars going to to different locations
3: i also think i mean going along with what you said bob i i i know you, you see the same teams that are going to be good every year but you but then it adds the aspect to teams like Memphis who don't have like a legit superstar and who are like the ultimate underdogs who came in this year with a young team, a bunch, pretty much a bunch of role players. I mean, Zach Randolph stepped up, but they were the ultimate underdog and they came in and knocked off the Spurs. And I mean, that's, I think that's good for the league too. You, Cause you got these teams like, as a, like in major league baseball when, Minnesota before they were spending the money, they were making the playoffs. They were the underdogs. People wanted to see them win. It's nice also to see those those little teams come up and sometimes knock off the the perennial powerhouses.
1: Oh no, no, we 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 will. You know, Memphis was a really great story. Oklahoma, uh, Chicago this year could possibly blossom into you know the next mini dynasty if they do end up winning it this year. Even the Heat themselves. But the, the the craziest fact about the NBA is that in the past 20 years only 16 six different franchises have won the the, the championship that's kind of disheartening as a as, as a fan of you know say the Cavs or I know you were a big Pacers fan when when Reggie was there how how much greater would it have been if they could have snuck one in there based on on how things are so i i don't know i i, I it's going to be interesting this summer to see how the collective bargaining agreement changes, whether it stays the same more pro players or if it's going to, you know, shift more towards the owners
3: going along with that too. I'm, I mean like, and I know LeBron left, left as, as a douchebag, but at the same time, I can kind of see why he left. I mean, yeah, Cleveland was good. They had the best record in the league, but, if you take LeBron off and uh, you take a few more members off the team, they, they win 19 games this year. It's like he had to, if he wanted to compete for titles, legit uh, dynasty, he had to leave because no, it's Cleveland, the city of Cleveland. Nobody wants to play there. There, Cleveland's
1: not a, if he would have recruited someone, there was a, there was a trade in place for Toronto to trade Bosch to Cleveland this, this offseason, but he didn't want anything to do. Uh, even in the past years, where he signed the mini contracts, no one wanted to go there because LeBron never recruited anyone, at all. And within the first seven days of him going to my Derek Fisher on the plane, recruiting Mike Miller, so I, I I don't know if that's a strong enough argument to say that he can't do it. This organization in, in Cleveland went above and beyond, bending backwards to cater to not only him, his marketing group, and. All the trades that they did, they, he, he signed off on. So it, it, it's tough to balance that out to say he didn't have enough players or a good enough team when they did have the ability to get people. Dan, Dan Gilbert spent $15 million on that first, you know, the number one pick that he got tonight. Actually $25 million over two years with taking on the Baron Davis contract. You don't see too many owners willing to do something like that.
0: You know the other thing that's important to keep in mind, uh, despite all of the uh, you know magical pixie dust that's been blown in the air about this Miami heat team and and how it's the best threesome ever put together, let's not forget. That LeBron James and the Miami Heat have done nothing any better up to this point than he did in Cleveland. They made it to the finals in Cleveland. The only way that he can possibly be successful in doing this is if he wins a championship. There's no other out that makes him look like the uh, like he made a smart move here. So uh, in in the end, yeah, we're we're in the Eastern Conference Finals. They're they're down by a game, winning by four points. We'll we'll know the final before this is. Uh, before this podcast is is done But uh, all of it doesn't matter Unless they win a championship Because he made it to the finals in Cleveland Without anybody else He made it to the conference finals in Cleveland Without anybody else So him teaming up All of it means nothing Unless they win a championship So uh, I, I think it's probably safe to say From a personal standpoint From a LeBron James decision uh, it's It's probably worth holding off Just a little bit longer To know if it was the right decision or not and uh let's let's see how the last couple of weeks play out here
3: one last thing on that he also made it to the finals in a year which they had a detroit they beat a detroit pistons teams that was aging with and that was before the uh the big three in boston had come together
0: and you don't think the big three in boston are aging this year they
3: are aging this year but you also have you have chicago now you have there's three or four different teams that are are now a lot better than the East was the year that LeBron took them by himself. I mean, don't well, no get me wrong, that was that's an, that's an accomplishment in itself, but the East is a lot more competitive than it was when they made it to the finals.
1: But even last year, uh, this will be the last thing I say about it, is the fact that they could have beat Boston last year if he didn't quit. Simple as that. Move on. I don't think he quit, though
0: well he definitely he definitely played inconsistent in that series if the, if there's nothing else you could take from that series, it was that there was a strong strong uh, whiff of inconsistency and on that note let's uh let 's move on uh mr williams you were uh, you were kind of drawn to the inconsistency that we 've seen from the nCAA as far as the violations and the rulings that they've made over the past twelve months. Um, what uh, what kind of trends are you seeing in the wonderful world of college sports when it comes to amateur athleticism over the past 12 months? Uh, it doesn't seem to be too amateur.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we're starting to see that, you know, back in the 70s and the 80s, you always heard about these, you know, money handshakes and slick deals. And with, with, with the age of the Internet being so quick, you know, with Twitter and and, and the Internet, it, it – it's so easy to find little smudges and smears on every almost every uh, program in in the NCAA some being bigger than others uh, but with the NCAA that they're having a, a, a tough time figuring out some sort of groundwork or, or, or some sort of here's here's what happens here's what the penalty is going to be they seem to be playing it more year by year and the reason why that you're seeing a lot more of this now is especially the scandal at ohio state which is by far one of the biggest athletic departments in the entire ncaa yeah we know that the tat five they sold their their own personal goods they get the five-game suspension. It, no matter whether it's legal or illegal, it's against NCAA, you know, law. So they got their five games. The NCAA themselves let them play in the Sugar Bowl. Why? Because it made the NCAA and their bulls money. Honestly, if it was that big of a deal, they should have definitely ruled them ineligible for that game. And we're, we're going to be waiting to figure out what what this— is coming of it just because of the fact that Jim Tressel lied you know he had to sign a paper document in I think it was September talking about how he didn't know of any possible infractions which in fact we do know that he did He's suspended for five games, you know, $250,000. It'll, it'll probably get bumped up to where he might get gone for the entire season. They could even jump this up to lack of institutional control, uh, and he could, you know, resign and get fired. While you have that, you do have uh, the USC scandal coming out, uh, finally getting a decision where they, you know, lose some scholarships because of the Reggie Bush fiasco. They were cited with lack of institutional control. They had a changing of guard with the coaching and AD staff. You have those, okay? Well, you're starting to see Oregon pop up in in the uh, headlines. They've actually paid a street agent, uh, which nothing's been ruled yet. We'll we'll see how that goes. We do have the infamous Cam Newton, where his dad, knowingly and on tape, tried to shop him for money, but because Cam supposedly didn't know, uh, he kind of got out of it. They ruled him eligible pretty quickly after the fact so they wouldn't lose their Auburn-Oregon matchup in the the championship game so there's even more going on you do have the Jim Calhoun issue you have Bruce Pearl who lost his job in in Tennessee I, I just don't know what to do with all these investigations and information that there's just no straight ruling or anything that seems to make any sense when it comes to NCAA
0: yeah one big story that that uh, that I think's worth mentioning is the the Cam Newton and Enos Cantor situations, there was, um, there was obviously the well-documented story of Cam Newton and his father demanding money. Um, the NCAA came out and actually made a written statement that indicated that because his father had been the one who had requested the money and that there was no tie to the athlete himself actually knowing that the money was requested or being involved in the requesting of the money, that that kind of kicked him clear of all of the repercussions. And then we have a situation in college basketball with a player whose father, unknowing to him, received benefits from a Turkish professional basketball team. And surprise, surprise, the NCAA just says that it's the player's responsibility to know what's going on with his father so very very blaring statement there by the ncaa that they have no idea what they're doing and cannot keep their stories straight as far as what's a violation and what's not you've got two almost identical situations and complete 180 degree decisions on the rulings on both of those cases my
3: whole thing on, on these violations is i mean it's it's ridiculous how they they pick and choose and uh you know that there. I mean, you got to know that there's there's so much going on that that isn't doesn't get caught. And why don't we just start paying these players? I, I know we are paying them in full athletic scholarships, so they are getting a full education to these these institutes that are what twenty five thousand dollars a year to go to. But let's start paying them some salaries. I know. I mean, they're making millions and millions of dollars off of these players. So maybe give them a little bit of kickback and maybe that would kind of cut down on some of these major violations and, and things like that. Cause there's probably so much going on that isn't getting caught that it, it, it's just ridiculous how, how they pick and choose like uh Calipari. I know he's never, he's never been alleged of, of doing anything himself or been caught of doing any, anything himself. But I mean, you got to, you got to wonder how he gets all these recruits every year. I mean, I know he's a mastermind recruiter, but there's got to be something else going on. What do you think with all these other allegations and, and violations going on?
0: Well, the slip, the slippery slope that I think you run into when you talk about paying players is, do you really think that's going to change much? Uh, Because even if, even if we make it okay for the players to be paid, uh, there, there's still going to be rules in place for how much they could be paid, who could be the ones writing the check, and those rules are going to get broken. There's going to be rules broken no matter how are we divide it up. I think that the, the ultimate solution has to be a situation where uh, they, they can't play, they can't pay kids to play college bat- ball, but I think they have to at some point in time, you know, allow them to be able to make money doing other things, whether that be. Uh, You know, working at the car lot, which is you know something that's come up a lot recently, and and doing jobs on the side at different places, whether it be just promoting uh, businesses, and then and then you know you have to of course have the the old follow through to make sure that they're not just getting money for being who they are. It's 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 tough. It's just it's just really tough when you're talking about that because at some point in time. Universities who don't have money in their athletic programs can't compete with the University of Ohio State if money is an issue. And I know that they have a hard time competing with those schools in the first place, but if you just throw money into the scenario, it's it's just it just snowballs from there, and we end up with a situation like we have in Major League Baseball, where you've got the haves and you've got the have-nots, and in Major League Baseball, you've got the two schools that have or the two the two teams that have, and the rest of the the rest of the country, which pretty much has not. Well, college football is 119 teams. So if you're talking about five to ten schools that have crazy amounts of money that they could throw at every recruit coming out of school, then you've got 112 that can't afford squat.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I agree that it's definitely a slippery, slippery slope. Uh, I'm assuming there's some sort of uh, probably – <sighs> Addition that they could throw into a scholarship to to get them a little bit more spending money, but I don't uh, I don't recommend that. I don't see that really solving anything because they'll still get extra benefits. It's been going on, you know. SMU is the biggest case that we've ever seen where they pretty much lied to the NCAA multiple times, and their entire organization, you know, their entire football team got the, the the death penalty. You know, they technically haven't been the same team since then uh I, I i just want some sort of you do this you get this penalty you do that you do this pe- you know you get that penalty the punishments just don't seem to fit the crimes and and the the timing of the issues like uh the the, the fact that the whole cam ish- cam newton issue seemed to boom you know less than a few days they're done out you know out of auburn they Declare him eligible. Yet here we are in the off season. They've been in Ohio State for how long now? So um, I, I just want a, a more clear cut picture of what the hell is going on.
0: Right. Well, you mentioned you mentioned the uh, you mentioned the kill the kill switch that was engaged in SMU and. Uh, their amount of time they had to spend away from football really took away the any competitive advantage they had as a program. Uh, another another athletic icon that took some time away from the sport and hasn't really been the same ever since. Tiger Woods last year and a half or so for Tiger Woods uh, has been a little bit tumultuous to say the least. And uh, I you know I was I was joking around about it and and I think sometime over the last year and a half that. Uh, Tiger Woods must have donated his blood to Charlie Sheen because he's running around with Tiger blood, and Tiger Woods hasn't got any left for himself. But uh, been a, been a rough last couple of years for Tiger Woods, and I think a lot of been, a lot of emphasis and and uh, you know got into a little bit of a Twitter debate last week about you know whether whether how much of his injury was or how much of his downfall has been traceable to his knee surgery, and how much of it has been traceable to You know what's happened since his infidelities came to light, you know last uh, last winter. Really tough to say. Obviously, none of us are in the minds and in the head of Tiger Woods, but uh, there's there's certainly a lot going on there, and I don't think that that can be understated at all. But how much, if 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 you're looking at this situation, how much do you think, Bob, that uh, the, the the decline that we've seen in Tiger Woods, how much of it is? marital situation related and how much of
1: it is injury related at this point you know you could probably say 50 50 and not be be a bad way or you could go 70 30 uh we've seen in the past how players and not just golfers we, we've seen athletes in general who have had off the field issues their play their their focus just seems to take away from from their performances and even at that, you know, if they're not focused, boom, there goes that injury. They, they change something up. So maybe one begets the other. Un- unfortunately for Tiger, his time off really didn't help too much, whether whether it be because of the injuries or, or the personal issues. Uh, hopefully th- this next round, uh, he, you know, he, he has his head clear, and uh gets fully healthy before the the end of the season and, and can try to go after another you know major or two in the next few years
0: now important thing important thing to remember when you're looking at the timeline of things uh tiger woods won the u.s open on a extremely bum knee uh just just under two years ago Um won out of commission for a couple of months had some surgery Came back was not quite the same Tiger Woods, but in the amount of time that he came back from that surgery um, with a new swing, I might add, um, he he won I believe six tournaments, no majors, six tournaments between that time and the point in time in which he had his little uh, his little uh, dirty laundry airing, and and I think it's important to note that six tournaments whether they're majors or not still an impressive stretch for less than a year span of time now you look at the year and a half that's gone by since then we've got a handful of fourth place finishes and nothing any better definitely no majors no minors no no wins at all since then and i think the important thing to remember this is actually kinda of one of the things we were talking about in our in our uh, in a nice little twitter debate the the tweet fight as i like to call it uh... He hasn't won anything since his dirty laundry got aired, but he won six tournaments after his injury and his surgery. I think that it's easy to draw the line between the infidelities and and the the off the field or the off the course issues playing into what's going on on the course. But you know, after after I was thinking about it a couple days, read a good article from uh, Tony Bosma over at HurricaneGolf.com. Uh, I think one thing that we've we've forgotten about in this whole process was the indictment and the subsequent trial and investigation into the activities of a Dr. Anthony Galea, who was a known doctor affiliated with Tiger Woods and a known doctor affiliated with at least 23 athletes in the distribution of HGH. I don't want to put two things together too much, but Dr. Anthony Galea went down and Tiger Woods fell off a cliff right around the same time. I don't necessarily think that uh, Tiger Woods' entire career or anything was based on illegal performance enhancing drugs or anything along those lines, but when you're recovering from injury and you're seeking the help from a doctor who specializes in HGH, you've brought him in because you think he's really good at this blood spinning technique that there's at least a thousand doctors in the United States that could do just as well. You bring in this guy from Canada who's not licensed to do business in the United States. You brought him in for a reason. And I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, I wasn't in the rooms, wasn't in the conversations. But sure, getting a divorce, going through all the stuff that he went through off the field, he didn't have the practice time. He didn't have the concentration. His mind wasn't in the game. I get all that. I think that that has a significant impact. But I don't think it can be ignored, the fact that Dr. Anthony Galea has been out of his life for the same amount of time.
3: My views on on the whole Tiger thing is, basically the divorce and the airing of his dirty laundry I think that may have affected his game when it when it first happened maybe the the few months after that but since then I mean that's since he stopped getting questions asked at every tournament about his marriage and this and that I think basically he's been changing up his swing he's changed I think he's had maybe two swing coaches in fact i think he got rid of his he didn't have a swing coach for a while there he's been tweaking stuff like pretty much on the regular with go- golf is a game and golf's a funny game it's i'll quote shane falco from the replacements golf is kind of like quicksand everything's going great and then one one thing goes wrong and then another and another and then you're in over your head and basically i i don't think that he has the confidence as he did when he makes a bad shot. I think where before, the tiger before, when everything was good, the swing was good and he, he could pretty much have the confidence to the swing. One thing could go wrong and he could come back from it. Now with him changing and tweaking everything so much, it, he's not, he's not 100% confident with it because he hasn't had that particular s- swing that long. His his putting isn't he's not as confident with his putting so if something goes wrong then things just starting start adding up and it kind of his whole game goes down from there and I mean he did have the Masters this year I mean we saw we saw glimpses of the Tiger of old but then at the end he just didn't have it because I don't think that confidence with his swing and everything's there I think I think he needs to stop changing everything so much and stick with something, and that way he can get back and get confident again.
0: Nice little stat to throw in the mix there. Tiger Woods' average drive distance has dropped by 27 yards over the last four years. So just throwing that out there, I realize he's gotten a little bit older, changed his swing, had some surgeries, but 26 yards per average drive, pretty significant drop. But uh, yeah, I I, I think, uh, I think you've, you're on to a point there, John, and I think you're right. I think confidence has more to do with it than anything else. You know, speculation about performance enhancing drugs aside, uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm not ready to say that Tiger Woods was a performance enhancing drug user, but it's something you have to at least consider based on everything that's going on. And uh, you know when, 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 you, when you consider the confidence hit that Tiger Woods took with all of the off the course activities that were going on about a year and a half ago or so. You said it yourself, one thing can go wrong and it becomes a a pit of quicksand. I don't necessarily think that that one thing that goes wrong necessarily has to be something that happens on the course. You're talking about confidence. Confidence is a fragile thing, and you can lose your confidence in something completely unrelated, and it can mess with your mind and it can mess with your uh, uh, abilities in everything you do completely across the board. So I, I I think that it's I think that you're 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 right I think that it's a it's a problem where he's gotten himself behind the eight ball a little bit and he's been really overcompensating and struggling tweaking changing trying to get back to where he was and in the meantime what he really needs to get back is his confidence and until he starts winning I don't know that that's ever going to happen I'm actually gonna I'm actually gonna say I personally don't believe that the Jack Nicholas Major's record is in any jeopardy whatsoever at this point.
1: I was actually going to bring up that question. So I, I know your answer. Uh, I, I, It's tough, especially when you're starting to see, yeah, there's a dip in his swing, which, you know, honestly, his drives were, were one of the big things when he first came into the the game, uh, how he outdrove everyone. You know, he, he was one of the, the better drivers in the the entire PGA But you. What, what separated him from all the other people Was not only did he have that consistent driver He also had, you know, a well-rounded iron game He had a really good putter You know, a really good recovery game I. It is tough, the fact that he's 35 uh, If this stuff would have happened Maybe a little bit earlier in his career He could have gotten past it And challenged for the 18-win record that Jack Nicholas has. I, I say there's still an outside shot that he can tie it because, you know, there's, there, there are four majors in a year, and all it takes is for him to get lucky in a few here and there with a, a younger player going up against him. If he, if he does get back to to a com- more competitive level where, you know, that younger guy of free falls like we've seen, you know, year in and year out it seems like at those major uh, tournaments on the last day for him to you know to to quickly pick up one or two three and and you know the four that he needs to tie him I don't I don't think he'll beat him but I, I think there's still an outside shot that he might be able to uh, tie Jack Nicklaus just because the amount of majors that are, he can play in I honestly think he's going to
3: still get it uh, I think he's going to get back on track and I, I think I mean he's got 14 right now he needs four more to tie yes Four more to tie and five. I, I think he gets it. I mean, in the next five years, I think he's got to win. I think he's got to get the four more. I think he's got to tie in the next five years because uh, the, the rate once you turn forty is obviously goes down. I mean, Jack Nicholas won one when he was like forty six, but I, I think he's gonna he's gonna come back and he's gonna get it. Now, another thing I'm gonna say too is, honestly, I think Tiger Woods took steroids because if you go back to his his injury his knee his knee was mangled i mean it was just i mean a wreck i mean he had his ac i believe they had a torn acl stress fracture and everything else and i believe steroids are you can take for to uh they Rehabilitate, rehabilitate, for sure. rehabilitate and prevent injury. So, I mean, and he said his knee was like that for about 10 years be, before he had the surgery. So, you know, over those 10 years, his knee was deteriorating. So I, there's there's no way could have won like he did without taking steroids on that knee being as mangled as it was. But I, like I said, I do think he's going to break the record.
0: Steroid-free?
3: Steroid-free. I think if he can... Just stick with the swing and don't try to tweak it so much. I think you'll be all right.
0: Well, fair enough. I, I, I personally, I just I, – I see two years without a major. I, I, I don't know that the, the – I don't know that time is on his side. Uh, I, I kinda, I'm kind of leaning towards Nicholas's record being safe. But, hey, that's the beauty of all things sports is that nobody knows what's going to happen. And that's why we get uh, – we get to get on the radio and speculate a little bit about it. So, uh, guys, it's been a great 12 months. I've really enjoyed having you here uh, doing the show with me. Uh, Mr. Severn's, of course, working the buttons and knobs and all that fun stuff. I'm just playing on my iPad. Hey, shh, I'm trying to make it sound like you're doing something. Yes, oh.
2: I'm working the buttons back and forth and forth and back. Buttons don't really go. Back I'm turning and the forward. knobs. Okay. I'm, I'm knob turning forth. To and fro. Oh, Bob, the just knobs, roll the outro. I'm, for crying out loud! Knobs or <laughs> knobs. Speaking of knobs, hey, what about the Tiger Woods? Well, this has been Sports on Point, a whole year of Sports on Point. We hope you enjoyed all the shows over the past year. We'd love to hear your suggestions on how we can improve the show and your comments about what big knobs we are. Send those comments to feedback at sportsonpoint.com. You can also call the show at 646-39-POINT. That's 646-397-6468.
0: Shout out to all the Sports on Point listeners. Thanks for listening, guys. It's been a good year, and uh, we hope you stick with us for many more years to come.
3: See you guys. Thunder up.
1: Yeah, I don't have anything cool to say, but keep listening.